I wish this pain wasn't so familiar. Like looking an old enemy in the eye. It wants to take me down. It wants me to just lie down and die. But I won't. I can't. There's something here. There must be, or Trinity wouldn't be in this snowy hell. I just hope that Jonah is okay. That he found a way back. I... I just couldn't risk having him with me. Not again. The pain of losing him, that would be too much to bear. This is my path, and mine alone. everyone, and welcome back to the Furidashi Podcast. I'm Nicholas. I'm here with Lauren. Lauren, say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. I am also here with Nicholas because I am Lauren. <laughs> so we're a solipsism now. <laughs> like, I'm here with you. No, you are here with me. No, I'm here with you. No, you are here with me. Okay, so getting past that a little bit. Uh, so we've been talking recently quite a bit about narrative and story, the distinction between narrative and story. Previously, we've talked about narrative systems. Uh, last time in our free episode, we talked about the what of video game storytelling because we've done a lot of talk about like you know structures and contexts and frameworks and so that was the first time that we actually started talking about like the okay what is the meat of what is going on in terms of video game storytelling so the thing that we wanted to talk about today is something that we had actually set to one side in that previous episode which is the question of plot and one of the reasons why we set it aside is because since that previous episode was more of a like hey, let's get into the topic and sort of like set out the parameters of what we need to discuss. Plot is a really huge thing to talk about. There are a lot of different kinds of plot structures. There are a lot of ways in which like particular plot structures then lead you towards like particular narrative systems. And also one of the fundamental things that we need to address is the way in which, while on the one hand, writing for games is very much derived from say literature and film and TV writing and so forth, there are actually a lot of aspects of writing for video games that is, are very different. And so that is one of the, the subjects that we need to get into today. Does that sound good, Lauren? Should we do that? Yeah, yeah we should do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, we could change, you know, the whole plot and structure of this episode, however. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're going to have a very bizarre plot for, for the for the episode about plot. Yeah, actually, here's the twist. We're not going to talk about that <laughs> at all whatsoever. So, uh, that entire, yeah. so that entire thing that we just did was what is known as a MacGuffin, where we set it up <laughs> one way and you thought we were going to go in one direction. But in fact, the episode is about something else entirely. That, my friend, is a MacGuffin. Um, all right. So Nicholas, <laughs> thank you for that great introduction, because I think that, right, simply put, we have two kind of definitions in game development, as well as in, you know, story development in general is what it's yeah. called, is that when you want to craft a dramatic arc or a comedic arc, an arc of anything, right, yeah. is kind of considered story development. 
And story development usually does start, especially in a game, right, which has a system and a loop and mechanics that players are going to be doing. There is already what we consider a structure, right? That's the overall design and layout of the, say, player story. Yeah. It already exists. Yeah. And the plot, right, when we come to story development would be the series of events, right, that kind of take place in that story. But yeah. now... A game isn't necessarily run by its plot, much like a book isn't run by its plot, right? You can yeah. have subplots, you have side threads, right? Plots can go in a very different directions. And sometimes it feels like a character, right, actually acts completely out of character. They go into a totally different direction than you expected. Yeah. So what's interesting, though, is when it comes to story development in games, my big point, right, for first, when we look at plot development, is that the structure of a novel doesn't really exist. You have to create that autonomously as the writer, right? Yeah. Now, a novel technically has chapter one to chapter 10, right? But the order in which you tell them, the plot, well, even let's, sorry, the order in which you tell them doesn't necessarily have to be the plot. The plot is just a series of events, right? Leading up to the finale, which is the end of a TV series, the end of yeah. a movie, the end of a book, yeah. the end of a game. But I think that I really want to kind of hone in first on plotting out a game's narrative by kind of identifying that the structure already exists within the game's player narrative. And then I think we can yeah. go further in. Yeah. So, I mean, you can even see this in games that don't really have much of a story to begin with. You could even see it in a game as simple as like Super Mario Brothers, where like the structure of the gameplay, in fact, the fact that you have a series of levels and you have to sort of progress through them sequentially. But then there are also ways to sort of skip that sequential sequence where, you, you know, you can use the warps and that that sort of like. The fact that you have to sort of like begin at one side of a level, you know, on the left side of the level and move to the right side of the level, you have to like traverse like that already provides a framework for like what is going to happen. The fact that like, you know, you go through a certain number of zones before you, you know, reach the, the final zone where you encounter a fake Bowser, you encounter so many fake Bowsers before you encounter the real Bowser. And then you save the real princess as opposed to just one of her retainers like that already there is a is a plot structure, even though it's there's not much to it. It's just sort of like the dam save the damsel in distress. And that's really the whole. Right. But there thing. is actually a narrative there. And I think that's yeah. what's really you're already identifying right now is that while the player has their own narrative of like what they're actually doing to get to the fake Bowser and then, oh, no, yeah, princess yeah. isn't another castle. <laughs> that line right there is actually right. The game narrative. And yeah. while the player narrative is what you have direct control over and that you're the one progressing it forward, the game has its own narrative, its own systems right, that are kind of acting against you in a lot of games like platformers or combat, right, AI are acting against you to make your player narrative, right, more challenging or more social or more fun, yeah. right? And now you're kind of saying, well, Laura, now you're getting back to the game design theories <laughs> that you've already kind of talked about. And that's the point, .jpeg. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that's the point, .jpeg. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that, right, a lot of the time we as game designers spend way too much effort in how are we connecting the player narrative and how are we connecting the game narrative. And sometimes that comes at the expense of the story. And yeah. that's where plot lives, is the story, right? Yeah. What is the actual emotional resonance? What are the things that the player sees and hears that actually help connect that? Because yeah. if you just focus on the systems, right, and you just focus on the mechanics, you're not actually going to correctly connect them into a holistic narrative experience, 
of that kind of genre. Well, yeah. And the thing is also, even though we're talking about these as distinct things, you know, like this system, that system, and so forth and so forth, like when you're thinking about the plot structure of a game, oftentimes that is going to have not necessarily a determinative relationship between your with your systems, but it will definitely like push you in particular directions or push you away from certain things, I guess is a better way of putting it. So like if you had a, if you have a game that is primarily a mystery, it's primarily a whodunit. And it's about, you know, finding like going out and talking to other characters and solving, like figuring out what's going on, putting clues together and so forth. You're not then going to want to have sort of a dialogue system that is like your typical shooter where someone's just talking in your ear the whole time, explaining everything to you. Because the point of the game is to go out and find the information, not to actually have the information just force fed to you as you go along. That's not really a very great mystery. And so right. like it feeds into particular gameplay mechanics, even though you're actually talking about a particular plot structure, the the whodunit, so to speak. Yeah. And I think that's actually a great bridge because something that comes up a lot in narrative design and in game design is gameplay first versus narrative first. And I hate this term. I hate both <laughs> these terms because yeah. there is no such thing as a gameplay first mentality, like make a good game and the narrative follows. And there's no such thing as a make a good story and the gameplay follows. I will say there's an exception and that is the visual novel or primarily text-based right yeah. genre or a primarily text and art driven game where yeah. in that case like a mystery who done it if it is a point and click adventure and you have fantastic art and a lot of dialogue is about putting pieces together of a paper and you're reading it well yeah. then in that case it is very similar to a novel because you are reading it and it happens to be interactive. So in that case I'd say it's an exception but Let's look at like, say, Call of Duty, right? You can't just make a narrative first Call of Duty. You're probably going to get Uncharted. If you make a gameplay first <laughs> Call of Duty, you're going to get Warzone, right? Yeah. So there's only, and, and I hate that because both are lacking, right, different experiences if you say you wanted to make yeah. a multiplayer Uncharted, right? Now, well, like, okay, let's let's look at this. Let's try to talk about it in a little bit more neutral. Terms. Yeah, let's, it's more like it exists yeah. on a spectrum. And so what you're talking about is you're, the fact that like, because of the fact that it's a spectrum, but people tend to talk about it as if they're poles. It's either this one yes. or it's this one, when in fact, it, most games exist somewhere between those two poles. Absolutely. And I think that that's a great example of that spectrum, because while you can start with the mechanics, you can start with a narrative Right? you want to make a mystery game. Yeah. Or you can say, I want to make a game where players have to put together uh find different scraps of paper and put together, write a story. Like this doesn't have to be a detective game, right? Maybe it's yeah. just, you know, clicking on objects. That's a great example because whether or not you start that way, I'm trying to say that it's not binary. You have to come to the middle because yeah. they have to meet to create a holistic experience. Exactly. Yeah. Right. On this note, you mentioned great things about plot structure. Let's dive into the mystery novel or the mystery genre because yeah. I think there are three very fundamental truths that are going to come out of whenever you want to plot a game's narrative. Yeah. And I call these truths because if you don't have these three things, that player experience or that player narrative, right, and the game narrative, what the game systems actually allow with your story narrative, right, aren't going to meet. And those three things are the theme, the genre, and the tone. Yeah. Because without those three, which if you are, if you've been a writer for, say, like, you know, any amount of time or you're just starting out, you've probably heard these three things before, right? What theme is your novel going to have? 
What genre are you writing? What's the tone, right? <laughs> and it's really funny because, yeah, as a writer, you need to know all the same three things when you're plotting your game story. Because if you make a, a mystery, that's your genre, that yeah. has themes of, right, like dark, uh, like darkness and like, I don't know, that's not a theme. That's a terrible <laughs> theme. I can't come up with this on the fly. I didn't have this plotted out, if you will. <laughs> yeah. Um, why, why didn't you do that, Lauren? What, why did I do that? Okay. Uh, well, well, okay. Then, no, you could have it. You could have a comedic mystery. You could have. Okay. A, you could have. You could have exactly. Like a, okay. a Knives Out style game, if you will. So, yeah. So Knives <laughs> Out comedic mystery, right? With themes of like, you know, race and ethnic tension. Also themes of family tension, right? Betrayal. Yeah. betrayal right yeah. but the tone is comedic okay now you actually have something really interesting you get knives out yeah. and a knives out video game right would be about all of that dialogue but then you'd have funny moments yeah. so like that's actually very that is a very compelling one because i love knives out um <laughs> thanks for saving me there uh but without without those three things right i think then you can kind of determine what the structure is or yeah. if you realize the game's structure is instead of there's no dialogue, okay, you have knives out in this game, yeah. you need to find out who did it, but like the primary mechanic is shooting a gun. Well, yeah. suddenly you're like, hold on, the structure of this game doesn't match the story we're trying to tell. Yeah. And this is where the tension of plot comes into now, yeah. right? Because now you're going, oh, well, there must be ghosts in the house I have to fight. <laughs> so this is Knives Out meets, like, ghosts. Oh, wait, yeah. no, we changed the mechanic. That, that would be Louis, no, that would be Luigi's Mansion. That's Luigi's Mansion. That's exactly where I was going. Wait, so now <laughs> it's Luigi's Mansion meets Knives Out. Yeah. You know, your ghost isn't in the castle. I mean, <laughs> right? And so yeah. I think that you can already kind of see, right, where the holes yeah. are forming, where like plot is is happening. Well, no, and and I think you you you. I mean, the the Luigi's Mansion thing is a bit of a goof, but at the same time, it also shows that like if you change just one of the aspects, if you tweak it slightly, you actually get a completely different game, or you can get a completely different game. It, that it's not as simple as like anything any game is going to be like another that has like shares the same sequences like the same set of like characteristics because if you if you take the the same knives out premise and you swap comedic for something that is so much more serious and much more brooding you would end up with like a silent hill game yeah absolutely and like we don't have to have like horror or <laughs> ghosts in these games but you actually no. not recognize right why well, horror is something that's really i don't I don't want to say easy to do because that's not what I'm saying. I want to say no. is something that very easily falls into things where you can see there's fun and potential for an interesting yeah. and engaging narrative. Yes. Because there is always a mystery to you go into the haunted house because as soon as you enter, your first thought is a great player narrative and it matches the story narrative and the game narrative. What happened? Yeah. Right. And that, that premise is gone home. Yeah. What happened? Because you're home and no one's there and you know it's your house because you're you know you've gone home <laughs> and then suddenly you're like but no one's here what happened right yeah. and apparently your house is just there to spook you and you're like yeah. why do i live here um and yeah. then, but that is kind of the first stage of when i think of plotting a game's narrative i like to think of the what is the first question the player is going to ask yeah and that that's where i start to then piece out the story events, right? What happened here? Okay, the first level is the living room. Oh, they actually changed the first level to like the bedroom. Maybe you enter your house and you get knocked out and now it's whatever. You can see that by changing these things, my plot 
doesn't actually change. My delivery of that narrative might change, but the plot is you enter the home, you find a note um, talking about how like your sisters run away. Yeah. You know, you hear a noise, the noise takes you to the next room. You proceed from room to room. You find more notes that tell you what happened, right? The door is locked. You need the key, right? Et well, and, and so actually you're, you're, do you have, if you have anything more to say about that? I have ahead. nothing more to say about okay. that. I was kind of like trailing off because there. Because you are bringing, so you're already bringing up um, an issue that we need to address very specifically, which is that sort of like how games generally do this differently. Because if you were reading the novel of Gone Home, like it would just be told to you what's happening. Like you, like this happens and then this happens and then this happens. But what Lauren just said is like, you find a note, then you hear a sound and you go over there. But the thing is like, those are all things that the player actually has to do. And so there's a fundamental difference there where it's like you're writing for a situation where player choice is involved. And if you guys want to read, my cat is being very annoying. She's trying to eat the rest of my lunch. <laughs> um if you want to read more about sort of like how specifically to deal with um, like writing for player choice, uh, there's a really great chapter in um, what's her name? Uh, Hannah Nicklin's new book, uh, writing for games theory and practice, I think is what it's called. And in there, she talks specifically about this problem that like, you have to make it sort of like, like as a, as a writer, as someone who's trying to develop a story for a video game, you have to think very conscientiously about how much you want to like leave that open for the player to determine as they go along and how much you actually want to sort of like, not necessarily push them, but definitely like encourage them to behave in particular ways so that they will find certain things like find notes or find letters or find clues or find like an old notebook and things like that. Like you have to actually have them you can have traditionally written things in a game, but you can't just like shove them in the player's face or else it's going to, I mean, then it's going to read just like a bad visual novel. Yeah. And so actually I'm really glad you brought up that point because Hannah does a great job of structuring the phrasing that when we look at ludonarrative harmony or we look at game design, that a lot of the times there is this dichotomy that once again is a spectrum, but is very much a binary because a lot of games and a lot of game makers have made it binary. And that is, yeah. right, the player-driven narrative, right? Yeah. And the game designer-driven narrative. And that's what yeah. Hannah's talking about right there. If we look at yeah. it from not just writing for games, but for designing games that tell an intricate story, how much are you telling the player, showing them explicitly, right? That explicit narrative on the screen. Yeah. Versus how much are you letting the player themselves tell themselves implicitly, right? Potentially being guided by the game narrative or the game systems, but how much is the player's choice affecting what it is and how much is it what your choices are? And yeah. I think this is fundamental because time after time again, we see Dragon Age Inquisition come up on our podcast because it is the <laughs> premier dialogue choice game. But player choice and dialogue choices yeah. are inherently a designer-driven narrative, even if you as the player influence what that is, because you're not speaking to the machine. The machine yeah. is giving you the words to say, and you choose them. Now, yeah. while the player choice is affecting the branches within that machine, Dragon Age Inquisition remains more of a designer-driven narrative than a player-driven narrative like Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. I, mm, 
That is I'm my gonna... hypothesis. I posit this. Okay. Because... I, I, I see what you're saying, but I would like to push back on it slightly. Yes. Because Do especially it. Okay. So since the example specifically is the or example that we always return to, which is Dragon Age. We can also, we can also do a different example. <laughs> right? No, no, no. It, no, it's, it's actually a good example. Um, so when you're talking especially about the, like the dialogue system in that game and sort of like the, the dialogue choices, you know, the, 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 the choice wheel, the Bioware choice wheel. Um, the thing is, it's not just that like the, like the options have been handed to you because you are right. Like the sort of like the, the, the forking paths have already been laid out by the dev devs, I guess I should say in this case. However, the th there is still, I think, a much stronger like player-driven aspect than you're giving it credit for, because one of the things that happens, especially if you're trying to romance particular characters, like it can then, like if you go too far romancing one character, like it actually excludes you from doing that with, from someone else. So yes. the thing is, that is something that has been like plotted out as a possibility by the designers, but it actually materializes in terms of gameplay because of the choices that the player makes. So I would actually kind of push that more towards the middle of that spectrum, at yeah. least with the, the Dragon Age example. Honestly, yes. I think that like positing it all the way into designer driven is obviously then giving zero credit to the actual player's <laughs> influence and what they can do. Yeah. Because, well, the, for me, the main, just the dialogue wheel is actually very designer driven. The subsystems and reactions of a secondary system underneath of that, which is like a tagging system yeah. or a weight system, yeah. that is where you actually see more player choice being driven and what is actually being driven by the narrative. And yep. I think that that's something that we'll probably see more out of Bioware games because when you have played through Inquisition all the way to Trespasser, like a two series, like a double choice that I had made in like the, the original game gave me an extra dialogue option and to get rid of all combat from a level in Trespasser. Yeah. Right? And if you put points into, right, um, what nobility in the main game, or you put points into um, Liliana's tree, I guess, spy spyology. Oh my gosh, I completely, subterfuge. There we go. That's no, the yeah, word. Yeah. Soterfuge, also known as <laughs> spyology. If you, you know, if you put points into that, you'll actually get different dialogue options yeah, as well. Yeah. And yeah. so I think what's really fascinating is that you take something that is explicit narrative, right? You take something that you present to the player, but then something over here that they're doing for gameplay, right? Yeah. Oh, no, now it actually changes the explicit narrative. And that's the relationship you have. So this yeah. is a little bit of a tangent to, I guess, answering the question of how do you plot the game narrative? But I hope that you understand that it was important to kind of create that transitional structure because you can see the structure of Dragon Age is very different than the structure of, right, well, Legend of Zelda. Yeah. Right? And thus the narrative or the plot of that would be different. Well, and also even just like the branching structure of like the overall story itself is more game centric than it is novel centric. In fact, when you see it in novels, when you see the, like those so-called like choose your own adventure books, like those were originally called game books. The idea is that you're turning a novel into a game structure. And the reason for that is because games, I don't know, for for historical reasons, or maybe that it's just they're better suited to this, have a lot more narratives that occur in a kind of an episodic fashion where you can encounter different aspects of the total overarching story 
at different points of time and you don't even necessarily need to do them in a particular order so to go back to dragon age inquisition you know the war room gives like a a nice structure to all of that because you can go to this zone or you can go to this zone or you can take care of this thing now or you can take care of this thing now and it's all laid out for you in a nice little map and you can see the map and you see the territories and you see the various war fronts it's really well done but the thing but the thing about that is is that even with so if you go to a particular zone though that zone actually has a series of objectives that have a more linear structure to them but they can still exist within this sort of larger like meta structure in which you can approach things in a fundamentally like what really whatever order you want to i mean not it's a non-linear order. way yeah yeah yeah, yeah and they're you're both. actually getting to yeah they're both and you're actually getting into the exact meat of the episode which is which is also kind of right our conclusion, right? Where where look at me plotting this out. Um, where a plot in a novel and a plot in a film or a TV series is linear. Now, whether or not you're viewing it linearly, like we could look at The Witcher's uh, recent Netflix series as a great example of this because it's told in short stories. Each episode, right, is at a different kind of time period. And if you've never watched it, hello, I'm spoiling it. Or making it easier to watch. We'll see. Um, But The Witcher was a video game, but started as a book before a video game. Okay. The first book is told in a series of short stories that one story takes place in what is like present day and one is in past day. Right? The past day. What? Sorry. (laughs) Um, I believe it's a flashback, Lauren. They're called flashbacks. Well, no. What's interesting is it's not a flashback and then you come back to the present. It's a short – people say it's a series of short stories. But it is kind of like a flashback. Each story takes place in one timeline. And then yeah. sometimes the preceding one is a actual flashback. And sometimes it's not. It's just a random short story that did take place in the past that yeah. has a tangential relationship that then a few chapters later you will see. Yeah. And what's fascinating about the Witcher novel is that the book itself is very nonlinear in that, right? You're not actually getting a you know, Agatha Christie walks into a bar and suddenly there's a corpse there. Oh no, <laughs> it's a corpse, right? And then, you know, you're not getting that mystery, 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 yeah, mystery, yeah, yeah. mystery kind of thing. And then yeah. you're not like, so tell me what happened that night. Oh, let me tell you. And then next chapter, I'm telling you what happened that night, yeah. chapter after that. And and thus here we are, puff on the cigar, right? Like you're not getting that linearly. Books yeah. and TV are naturally linear, but a game is naturally non-linear and a reason and i think that well i mean it, it can be linear but what i'm saying is like what yeah. you were talking about right, resisting resisting non-linear, you can naturally. resist it you're resisting the word naturally and i get it i also resisted it i said it and i resisted it i was like wait a second that's not <laughs> what i mean what i mean is that games especially now when it's an open world right environment yeah, yeah. Or it's an open world like story the reason why you look at open world narratives differently is that it is a it is by the premise of being able to go anywhere and do anything and receive the narrative in any order, it is yeah. naturally nonlinear. That is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Open world narrative, like the two examples we previously brought up, naturally nonlinear. Yeah. Single player campaigns that are from one set level to the next set level, like an Uncharted, like a Tomb Raider, right, are naturally, because of the structure, right, of level to level to level, fall into a typical pattern of yeah. linear storytelling, where a traditional book or a traditional plot of a TV show or of a like like of a movie is linear, right? The, yeah. the movie begins, the movie ends. Plot, hold on, sorry, just one quick thing before you speak, Nicholas. Plot in of itself is the series of events, right? That kind of 
show the beginning, middle, end yeah, yeah, yeah. is a linear story development structure. Yes. But it becomes very hard when game designs and the game structure are in a nonlinear way to recognize that your plot has to fit into a non-linear format, which means that much like the Witcher TV series on Netflix, players may be confused about the story until they have experienced enough of those non-linear events, right? To recognize that by the end of the Witcher series, oh, these are all taking places in different timelines. Yeah. Right? Now I get it. And then, right, the game structure and narrative then may at the end. Well, the thing, <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry, I brought up a lot there yeah, and I like. No, yeah. it, it's good because one of the things that I wanted to point out is that though the Tomb Raider games usually are linear in, in structure, they don't actually have to be because they have a very episodic quality to them. Like, And a lot of it has to do with, you know, there are particular zones. Like you are in this zone, you're in this dungeon, or you're in this tomb, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so the thing is, even though that's they've been traditionally done in such a way where they've been plotted out sequentially, you wouldn't actually have to do that. In fact, you could have a Tomb, tomb Raider Inquisition or Dragon Age revelation like whatever whatever mashup of, revelation whatever, like, whatever, whatever yeah whatever mashup of tomb raider and dragon age you want to have where you can use that sort of in other words lara could have like say an initial zone where you go through the whole tutorial sequence of like this is how you shoot the bow and this is how you use the grappling hook but then at that point like you know some person could come to her and like no you need to go to bolivia to do this thing it's like no you need to go to egypt to do this thing like no you need to go to like iceland to do this thing and then you have a map and on that map you can go to iceland or you could go to bolivia or you could go to egypt you could do any of those zones because they don't have to be sequential like that's the thing that i always found rather strange about tomb raider games it's like well why can't i choose to go to this place instead so even so to go back to something that Lauren was saying, and the reason why I resisted this idea of like, it's naturally one or the other is that when you think about sort of that, the way the plot is broken up, because it's not just how things are sequenced. It's also about how it's broken up. And because the sort of like the large arc of the game in a game like Tomb Raider is broken up into these like episodic vignettes. So, I mean, the vignette is almost a game in and of itself <laughs> to, be, to be perfectly honest, just given the length. Because of that, you can arrange them sequentially, or you can have them arranged in a more sort of open way where the player chooses. You could have them arranged in more of like a Horizon Zero Dawn slash Forbidden West way where like all of the zones are available to you from the beginning and you can like pick which one you want to go to. You still at some point have to go to most, if not all of them, but you don't have to do them in a particular order. A Tomb Raider game could also be structured that way. They just historically have not. Yeah. And honestly, this is what's really been fascinating for me as someone who is a narrative designer, right? Is that even though I have created these systems and I have done mechanics and I've done levels, we're seeing this bridge between people thinking that level design is just creating maps or just creating the levels or creating the gameplay elements, but then recognizing that the strengths of creative writing, right? The strengths of narrative, yeah. right? are super strong when they are strung together or partnered with really strong like game designers. Yes. Because narrative design in of itself is a structure. Yeah. And it's about putting a story and overlaying different interesting moments or experiences within that game plotted on some device. Yeah. And when you are plotting a game's narrative, you are in essence influencing the game design. 
Yeah. So it's incredibly important, right, to understand that you cannot just plot a game story the same way you would plot any sort of story, yeah. right? You are actually, as you have fundamentally put it with the Tomb Raider example, you are going to change that structure, right, is changing the game narrative, is changing the story, and is also changing how it's experienced. So as always, Lauren... I have to give Lauren the final word on that because she always comes up with these great ways to to, to you know wrap everything up with a nice little bow. But I do want to remind well, that's you. That's me, narrative. <laughs> but I do want to remind. Like, yes, we plotted this episode very well today. <laughs> in, in both senses of the term, we like plot in the sense of like you know laying out a story structure, but plot also in scheming. Ooh, we scheme. <laughs> but I do want to remind everyone that we do have a Patreon for Fudidashi. It's uh, patreon.com forward slash Fudidashi. We have a tier where you can get a, you can listen to two bonus episodes every month but we also have a tier in which you can gain access to our discord and you can ask us direct questions in fact the people in our discord they ask us questions about game design and we answer and we we have a great time it's 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 great fun i actually really enjoy it um yeah, and i enjoy it too so please like come and talk to us and yeah if you guys have any questions for me just like sign up for the patreon at that second tier and you will get them answered um, and for just general, like, hey, maybe you guys should be aware of this purposes. We are also on Twitter, um, Furidashi Pod. I'm on Twitter at Academicality. Lauren is at the Lauren Ash. Um, Lauren, is there anything else you want to leave the fine people with before we go? You know, other than following us and like signing up for our Patreon, we just want to say thank you guys for listening to us over these past couple years. I'm we're only getting more and more. And I think for me, the biggest thing to remember is that while these episodes are free for you at every podcast subscription service that you sign up for, you actually are getting even more in-depth and practical examples in our Patreon. So I can't stress that enough. Thank you guys. And we'll see you next time. 